This is Psychic Warfare. Welcome back, my friends, to Psychic Warfare, the podcast where spirituality and philosophy collide with heavy metal and rock and roll. I am your host, Chris Keelick, and thank you for joining me once again on another journey into the lives and minds of the most iconic musicians in heavy music. This week, I am joined by Stan Leshevsky, vocalist of Terminal Nation, an absolutely savage hardcore slash death metal hybrid band out of Little Rock, Arkansas, whose last record, 2020's Holocene Extinction, is a glorious sledgehammer blow to the ears and an excellent dissection of the injustice, inequality, and greed that plagues our waking lives. Not to mention, it perhaps has my favorite album art on any heavy music record in recent memory. Stan, welcome to Psychic Warfare, and thank you for being here today. Well, Chris, thank you uh, for such a uh, warm introduction. I, I feel like you always nail it with those introductions. <laughs> I, that's what I've heard. So I've heard most. A lot of people on here say I'm pretty good at introductions. I, I don't necessarily agree with that, but I, I, I will take the take the compliment. I appreciate that. Yes, so. please do, please do. You did a hell of a job. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I appreciate you. Uh, inviting me and uh, and thinking about me to be on here. No, I'm honored to have you on here. And in and and a lot of regards, you're kind of the perfect person to have on a podcast like this. So it's kind of been a long time coming, at least in my mind, of getting you on. And uh, if you, you've you listened to a few episodes before, you, you told me before we started recording, so you know how I'm going to start this, is I always ask, how are you feeling in this moment in time, mentally, physically, and spiritually? Um, so I, uh, I, I, I think tired, but, but okay. Complacent, uh, content. I, um, recently just a little, um, a little peek behind the curtain. My personal life recently moved into a, uh, into a new house. Um, I bought a house in the the worst time in American history to ever buy buy a house, (laughs) but, (laughs) but, uh, it's something that needed to be done. And so here I am in my, uh, my new humble abode. I was thinking when we were moving in that it would be like a pretty quick, transitional thing we move in but it's several months in and i still feel like we have little projects that we need to do here and there so um i'm content and i'm very happy with my house but but pretty tired because i feel like i've been working on it non-stop along with you know being a dad being in a band having a job this that and the other so i feel i feel pretty exhausted but i'm, I'm happy with where i'm at that's awesome man you know i'm really i'm just really glad that so far it seems to have gone somewhat smoothly maybe not in terms of like you said in terms of the the way the state of the country but at least in terms of Personally, it seems to be going all right in terms of the move, but I'm happy for you. I'm really happy for you. Thank you. Thank and you. I, I want to ask, and you were telling me a little bit before we got started that you're not necessarily like a, a spiritual person in the traditional context, but I also always ask the guests in your own life, you know, what was your spiritual upbringing like in the sense of, did you grow up in a household that held a certain faith? Was spirituality something personally developed and discovered over time in the sense of like who who kind of taught you the sense of right and wrong was that an individual thing you kind of learned or did you have an upbringing of like okay this is how you should this is morally kind of where you should kind of lean or is that something that was personally developed for you yeah so uh so about half my life i spent living in uh in los angeles california in a um so my mother mother's side of the family is salvadoreño so in a traditional like el salvadorian if you will um, household. So I was in a, I had cousins, aunts, uncles, uh, parents, brother, sister, all living under the same roof. We're all kind of walking all, crawling all over each other, it seems like. But um, raised uh, Catholic, I guess we weren't super religious. I think they always, uh, my, my mother for sure, and sometimes my dad uh, would always kind of 
be like my moral compass of right and wrong. I, I built a lot of my my morals and the fabric of what I think is right and wrong. Through them, my mother overcame so much adversity. She came to the United States before I was born. She came here um, from El Salvador, uh, couldn't speak English, had never driven a vehicle. Um, and she's always kind of been somebody that I turned to as like, this is someone who's overcame so much, who's learned and grown so much. So she's always kind of been, my mother especially has always been my moral compass, but in the household, you know, we, we were a Catholic household. Um, it's not, we, we didn't attend church or anything on a regular basis, but I always just kind of, um, look to my mother. I think she was always kind of my, uh, my, my guiding light. I just, just saw, saw her strength and everything growing up and coming to America. You know, you and I, I imagine are around the same age, you know, I'm 29 going on 30 and we've seen, we've lived through a lot, you know, in these past few years, uh, and seen a lot. And sure. your band, I admire, you know, the lyricism of your band of how, how just like by the throat you attack things, you know, through your lyrics. I respect the hell out of it. You know, in our lives, in your life, what are the events and actions that you've seen and undertaken that have shaped the way that you view morality and the way that you hold yourself and present your beliefs for yourself, but also on behalf of other people that you see, you know, in terms of you mentioned, you know, talking about, you know, how you grew up, but as you grew up even more, you know, what were the things that you witnessed, even from a young age going into these last few years where we've lived through a lot that have shaped those tenets sure. of how you hold yourself in your own morality? So um, I think I know you mentioned our age. Uh, I, I just turned 33. So we're, we're pretty we're pretty close. I'm a little bit older than you, but, right. but we're still kind of in the, in the same um generational gap i think um and i feel like on a broader scale not just me personally but our um like our generation has been through so much trauma for lack of a better word in the last 20 plus years that it's just i mean from 9 11 to sandy hook to covid to hurricane katrina it's it's just been like we've been beat over the head with you know, trauma, suffering, death, destruction. I remember being in a, my sixth grade classroom here in um, here in Arkansas and coming into current events. And my God, it was the biggest current. Event. I, I didn't know that it would be the biggest current event day ever where we saw, you know, 9-11 um, happening right before our eyes. We saw 3,000 people die right in front of our faces. And that's a lot to take in as, a, you know, a sixth grader. And it was something that everybody experienced. It's not an isolated thing. But also um, just... From a personal standpoint, like as a teenager, I moved from uh, from Los Angeles, California, which is more uh, culturally diverse melting pot to uh, to central Arkansas, a town called Benton, right maybe 20 minutes south of of Little Rock. That's um, not, you know, quite quite the quite the culture shock. So uh, as a teenager, I just kind of really grew to resent this place. I always felt outcasted. I always felt like I didn't belong, whether it be in school um you know, it, it, the times that I've attended church, um, whatever the case may be. Uh, I mean, I ended up discovering like hardcore metal punk music. And that was kind of I really, really latched on that because I was I was like that brown kid who, who you know, the only brown kid in the city or the only brown kid in the school. Um, and then just seeing firsthand some of the um, experiences that my mother was going through, you know, barely being able to speak the language. Um you know, being perceived as an outsider, all that stuff, just kind of, I, I, I grew up very angsty as a very angsty teenager, maybe more so than your average angsty teenager. Like I had the, the general cliche, you know, fuck the establishment angst, but also on a personal level, I felt like I had a chip on my shoulder 
uh, quite a bit. I felt like I didn't belong. I, you know, I always felt like I had to prove my worth and my value in every circle that I've ever, that, that I've ever been in, um, you know, post my teenage years. And so I, I think a lot of that come, comes across in the lyrics of the album, for sure. Like, hey, I belong here. If you if you don't like it, fuck you. Absolutely. No, absolutely. That comes across and you're absolutely right. Like, I, I can't necessarily relate on a personal level because we're living completely different lives. But I everything you're saying resonates with me just on, on an empathetic level as a human to human level. And talking about a human to human level and talking about belonging and wanting to change the world so that everyone is at an equal playing field and everyone is equal and fighting for equality against injustice. My favorite lyric on Holocene Extinction is from the title track when you say, you know, how can we make this world a better place when we can't even agree on what that means? How can we make the world a better place when there's so much hate towards those we share it with? You cannot save a world that refuses to be saved. And I spoke early on in the podcast with Keith Buckley and, and a couple others about the possibility of there being absolute moral good and evil in the world. And one of those tenets that I, I don't necessarily, I, I, I don't think I know enough to, to have an opinion on that. It's just, it's an interesting idea to, to play with. But one of the sub tenets of that idea was, I, I believe that diminishing human suffering as much as possible is something that I would consider a absolute moral good if there was such a thing. Do you feel that this is a solid like diminishing human suffering as much as possible is a solid absolute good. Do you believe that a concept like that even exists in a certain sense? Do you believe that we have an obligation to diminish human suffering as much as possible, even if not on a moral level, but just in a, it's what's best for our survival in a practical sense. Like how do you feel about kind of that whole idea in general? Uh, that's a, I mean, that's, that's a big question. I, um, it, maybe it depends on what day, you know, certain days I I'm like, Hey, uh, you know, there's there's absolute good and absolute evil or or, or um, whatever. I, I always um, I don't know where it came from. I've always I've kind of adopted this philosophy into my adulthood um, and I've parlayed it on to my children. Um, about 10 years ago, I had my first kid and it kind of changed my my perspective and everything uh, about the world, how I view the world. Everything that I do in my life is like to make sure that either, you know, I'm, I'm laying a foundation for them to, to grow and better themselves, or I'm providing for them. I'm nurturing them. everything I do is, is, is based on my children. And I kind of wanted to um, always portray like the, the, the right. And, so, and sometimes it's convoluted. Sometimes the lines are blurry, but I always wanted to, to the best of my ability, convey what is right and what is wrong. And one thing that I've, I've kind of adopted, like I said, I don't know where it came from, but it's something I thought was, um, I always try to, throw this into uh anything if if my my kids are struggling with something my wife my friends whatever i always try to say do everything you can to whether it's a circle of friends a community that you join whatever uh, a music community a workplace a classroom leave it better than it was when you joined it um is the thing and and that might be you know just making a small impact on someone's life or revamping the whole thing or you know what to some level leave it leave it where leave whatever you've joined whatever you're a part of better um after you go than what it was when you started i guess I, my artic my articulation's a little off there um no you got it on, i understand exactly yeah yeah i I, just, I think it's important to uh you know the world can be a dark and ugly place but i think it's always important to try to find 
um, and make something good out of out of whatever cards that you're dealt. If if that answers your question, your question was a tough was a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's my job. That seems to be the the mo of this podcast is yeah no I like it hard I like questions it. that re- that really don't have any answers. I don't even have the answers. I just I just like to throw things out into the void and see see what comes back at me. Yeah, um, totally. Like, oh, well, I, and I did want to elaborate a little more. Like, I know you pointed out that lyric, but um, yeah, absolutely. The, the, so, the what I, I do remember very uh, that was the last song that we wrote on that album. Kind of like peak, you know, peak Trump being in office, and just like all these terrible things that we're just bombarded with every day on the news, and like, holy shit, um, you know, just seeing a the Latino community just being scared to go outside of their doors, and and hate speech being emboldened, and I'm like, you know. I feel that most days that there's a clear d- difference between what's good and what's what's wrong. But if you ask somebody who maybe grew up in a different area, has a different perspective, per, uh, you know, perception, their perspective is different, um, skewed for me. Like, you know, is is banning abortion a good? I would say absolutely not, irrevocably. But somebody who grew up in a in a very tight conservative Christian household, they truly believe in their heart that it's murder. And it's like it's like talking to a wall. Sometimes you can try to explain to them your perspective and they're they they see it as one way because it's just ingrained in, into their fiber of of who they are and it's like how can we how can we make the world a better place when we all can't as one agree on what what that even means my my definition of making the world a better place i feel like is probably similar to yours but not not exactly but is probably light years away from um this person that person and the other so like my my perception of a paradise or um you know nirvana or a perfect world is probably totally different so we i don't know that humanity can ever have a a world peace or a perfect world because it's not gonna it's not gonna vibe with everybody i guess it's realization of that is just frustrating that is a that is a bitter pill to swallow i mean if 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 we go down that road and it's something that it scares me to death to think about because i mean who doesn't want you know what you're talking about to to come to pass And it's interesting also because, again, wide swaths of people will always have differing views of what is better. Like you said, leave the place better than when you found it. And the question really is, like, how do we determine what is, quote unquote, better? What is, quote unquote, worse? What is, quote unquote, good? What is, quote unquote, evil? And how to behave? Because, you know, there's there's capital T truth, which I guess we can consider like the objective truths of like science. And there's little T truth, which is our own personal subjective truths that we kind of hold inside and those that's much harder to kind of unravel and when people try to do that it's very very uncomfortable because they mm-hmm. don't like being put in a position where they feel like everything that they've ever known is kind of unraveling in front of them and it, it they think that you know it impacts like how they see themselves their own images and i think this again we've talked about this a lot on the podcast this is going to be a, a recurring theme i think because it's so important in your minds because everybody differs like you said everybody is going to have a different idea of this but in your mind what are the biggest factors in someone's life whether it's between you and me or you and anybody some random person that determines their how they view what is good what is evil what is good bad what is what leaves a place better what leaves a place worse mm-hmm. is it religion is it socioeconomic class is it just a, ma- a matter of where you're born nationally, geographically, like what, what are the biggest factors to you in your mind that you would say, this is what determines morals in people? Yeah. That, another, another great question. Um, I think like socioeconomic class is probably a big, probably a big one. 
for lack of a better term, maybe the uh, or, or, or using some Arkansas terminology, the uh, the circle you run with, if you will, the circle you run with. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I just, for me speaking personally, um, a lot of um, my morals or a lot of my beliefs were founded by my involvement in like hardcore punk, like like DIY, like the DIY ethics, doing things yourself. Um, kind of being, you know, my sticking your middle finger up to like like capitalism and, and things like that. Um, looking out for each other, um, you know, building a safe community, creating safe spaces, and things like that. A lot of that is stuff that I don't know that I would I would have been exposed to as early in life without hardcore punk, if that makes sense. Um, you know, I, I and it may sound a little corny or cheesy to some people. Um, but it, it it definitely it definitely is something that that helped shape me to be who I am. Now, had I not ever discovered hardcore punk, and had I had I um, grown up in like a, maybe a, a Southern Baptist household, I don't know that I would have the same views. I'd like to think that I'd be the same, but it's there's always that you know that moral dilemma, um, you know, where that where, where white people say, well, if I was around in the time of slavery or segregation, I would have been against it. But it's like. Would you really, or would have would you have just gone with the flow in, in your upbringing, kind of thing? I, you know, I, it, it, you can never, you can never answer that truthfully unless you're you're put in that position. I do remember, um, like as a kid, uh, when I moved to Arkansas, staying at, you know, a, a friend's house or something over the weekend, having like a sleepover, and then the next day we like on a Sunday morning we'd go to church or like sun, Sunday school, and it was a totally different. I, I mean, I'd gone to Catholic church here and there through my own family, but I would go to church with, with some friends and it, it would be like a more Southern Baptist church. And um, forgive me if I'm uh, maybe misquoting some of the teachings or whatever, but this is just me reflecting back from being. I don't think I'm going like, to be able to correct you on that. So I think you're going <laughs> to <Sure>. be fine. <laughs> I, I don't want to misspeak on, on, on anything, but from how I remember it, um, I remember the teachings kind of being really empty. Um, even as a, even as a kid and, and like uh, the teachings would say that, you know, regardless of what you do in your life, if you can accept Jesus Christ into your heart as as God's son and the savior, then you will go to heaven. And me, maybe it was just me being like a snot-nosed little asshole punk kid. But I was like, well, what if you're a serial killer? And then before you die, you know, you just say, well, I accept Jesus in your heart. And you, really you do the Constantine and you convert on your deathbed? Exactly, exactly. Um, and they're like, yes. And I was like, well, what if you're born in um you know a, a third world country that and you're ne never in your life are you ever exposed to the concept of who Jesus is you know let's say you you grow up in you know in the jungle and you're not surrounded by by uh no missionary comes to save you and you're never exposed to the concept of Jesus are you banished into hell for for all eternity and i remember you know uh the the youth pastor getting um a little bit heated when i when i kind of tried to to uh to push these questions i i and it was I, a lot of it was me kind of being a little punk asshole do you remember what he said i'm very curious just like how he responded to that when you brought that up um i I, w I wish i could but essentially kind of hammering the point that if you don't accept god into your heart then you're you're fucked i mean then it's not exactly <laughs> what he said <laughs> but, but uh but um if you don't accept oh, jesus good. christ as the as the, uh, the your savior into your heart, then and then then I, I think I think he kind of went in a direction where that's why we got to tell us you know that's why we got to spread the word to as many people as we can, 
And like in me, I think I just to push the issue uh, and I ended up getting kicked out of the class um, being a little asshole that I am uh, <laughs> pushing the issue and saying like, well, what if a, a baby is born and dies moments after leaving the womb? Unbaptized, right? Right. Of course. Of course. Are they, you know, um, banished to hell for eternity? And it's, you know, it was. I don't know. I you know who else you know who else thought about that, Stan, and who else who else would have said that yes, they're they're gone to hell for eternity. Three guesses. Can you guess who also very famous author in in, in history? Oh, I don't I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Dante. If you ever read Dante's Inferno, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, every okay, okay. when you when you're saying this, it's so <laughs> funny because I t- I'm just laughing because I remember reading uh the Inferno in, in college for my INTD it's class. Quite some time for me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, unbaptized babies. They're in, they're in a separate, it's like, it's not like the first circle of hell. It's not one of the nine circles, but it's like a pre-circle of hell that they yeah, go like to. Hell, diet that, hell. And the other, it's diet hell. That's perfect. And the other funny thing is like the Greeks, uh, the Egyptians, any, like what he called like enlightened being from a time before Christ was born and couldn't like accept Christ. They're also in like pre-hell. They're just all hanging out, just talking to each other, being like, God damn it, I wish we were born after Jesus. And I always thought that was the most fucking hilarious thing that all these guys that just didn't get to exist before the historical Jesus existed are just by default. It's like, sorry, don't pass go, don't collect $200, you're going to hell. Enjoy your stay forever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, it, I, I mean, I think even as a kid, like I was being a little bit of a, an, of an asshole, but I think these were definitely genuine questions. Uh, and it kind of, I, I wasn't intending on poking holes in his whole, uh, in everything that, you know, he was trying to lay out there, but these were genuine questions. I mean, even as an adult, I, I mean, I have children, I have a family, I want nothing more than for heaven to be a real thing. And, um, of course, I, I mean, I want nothing more because the, the, the concept of, you know, if I die tomorrow, everything just is over. Like it, it, it ends. It's fucking it's, terrifying, it, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely terrifying. Um, so I want nothing more than that, but it's just, I, you know, I, I that, that particular gentleman, um, from that church just wasn't able to, um, to win me over with, with, with his, his argument. I know we got kind of got a, <laughs> a little sidetracked. No, um, I mean, it's appropriate. Cause again, I, Again, apologies to listeners. You probably heard a lot of this, but it's just so appropriate because we've talked about in a cr- traditional Christian sense. I, I and by the way, I am totally not against Christianity or faith in the sense of like faith is a good thing when it's when you follow again, follow a lot of the things that are actually in the Bible, like that Christ teaches, like loving sure. your neighbor and treating everyone equal. Like that's important. Like those are important things. And faith is something that provides comfort to a lot of people. And if it helps you become a better person and treat people better then that's amazing. Like, that's great. Like anything that helps you, you know, treat people on an, in like give ad, like advocate for more equality and treat people better and just be a decent and better human being. That's wonderful. And if that's faith in your life, then more power to you. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. But people turn away from traditional Christianity because it's just been twisted by evangelical preachers, people of that ilk. You know, yeah. they, they twist the, the message the, to their own, to their own for usually for greed, for their own like gains, get what they want out of it. They pick and choose, and, and yeah, you know, they kind of re- exactly. reshape a narrative. And and um, usually there's some there's some uh, game involved, whether it's mo- monetary gain or something like that. But they kind of reshape it to fill um, to a to appease people to make it, and then you know for. Uh, other things there yeah, but uh politically expedient anything like that yeah yeah totally totally but i, I think the, the original question was um 
I think a big part is is the company keep, you keep or the circle that you run with that helps shape, um, you know, your worldviews, your your moral compass, um, your your thought process, your belief set, everything like that. For me, you know, it's it's been hardcore punk, and I think I think I've done okay uh, working off that. But um, but yeah, I mean, everyone has has uh, their own like their own group of people, and a lot a lot of their beliefs, mindset, their day to day tasks are shaped by by the company that they keep. Absolutely, and again, just to reinstate again, the faith. <laughs> can be a very powerful and very good thing for a lot of people, you know, believing in something. And again, it is fucking terrifying to think that there is nothing after death. That's why a lot of people turn to faith and religion. And again, if it helps you be a better person on this earth in this life right now, then I wish you all the best yep. and I applaud you. And we need more people like you in, totally. in organized religious communities and in faith communities, because you're doing you know, God's work, I guess. And if, if that's how you want to put it, you're doing, uh, you're doing good work just on a human level. And we need more people like that. And I, I spoke last week on the podcast also about how the idea of the possibility of our own individual, personal, internal evolution on a philosophical and spiritual level, because again, I brought this up multiple times, but it's such a powerful idea. I, I think about it all the time when Keith Buckley said, the next great revolution in this country needs to be a spiritual one, meaning kind of what you said, like we all need to like get our priority, our shit straight. We need to get our priorities in order of how we treat people, you know, and that's kind of reassessing our own internal morality. But I think that it's kind of inextricably, inex pardon my, I don't, I lost pronunciation of that word, inextricably, inextricably, I'm struggling with that word today, inextricably tied to our sociopolitical system and how it is set up and how it functions. And this is something that you are speaking about directly, maybe not in terms of like causing an internal shift, but I think that you're like one step away from that. I mean, you're, you are talking about how, how the sociopolitical system functions and the injustice that it's causing and the greed that runs it. Uh, you know, sure. what do you think about this idea that we internally won't be able to change unless externally the sociopolitical system that we live within changes? Do you think that before a lot of people can consider an internal philosophical change, the change has to come from our sociopolitical structure first? Or do you think it's like you said, it's just like at a certain point in your life, you're off the track and you're gone and there's no coming back no matter what happens. Like, do you think that there's always a possibility of like, if the system changes, then like we, people will begin to reassess their morality and their priorities of how they treat well, people. Yes. So, so we need a, a, like a cataclysmic shift at this point. Is it is it possible? I don't. The the realist in me says no. The optimist in me says we can make it happen. We got we got a band together. I you know I this terminology here. The first thing that comes to mind is the climate crisis that we're currently undergoing. Can we can we somehow um, persuade you know these corporations and capitalists that hey maybe we should put the future uh, generations their existence ahead of this quick dollar that we're making right now. It, is anybody going to be able to convince convince them? I don't think so. Um, the, the realist in me says no chance in hell. The optimist is, we, we, you know, we, we got to do something now. Um, do we need a huge shift like that ASAP? Uh, yes, 100%. Um, it's, it, it's very depressing to think about. It's very dark to think about. I just feel like, I, I don't know that 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 train maybe has left the station. I mean, we've seen I, as a you know being a '90s kid, if you will. I was born in 1989, but but I lived through the '90s. And whether it be like 
Captain Planet or just like all these different ad campaigns about cleaning up, you know, doing your share to uh, to keep the earth, you know, pump, moving along, keep keep the climate. Just keep good, it moving along. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we've, we've heard this for like 30, 40, 50 years now, if not if not longer than that. Um, and I think it's it's much more of a uh, there needs to be a mass shift and in individuals maybe picking up um, you know soda cans that they threw out outside. Um, I mean you should you should not litter, but but there, there needs to be a made a major overhaul for sure. And it's like man, we've heard this for fucking forty years now, and it's like are we are we too late? Has the train already left the station? Can you not put the toothpaste back in the tube? I I mean I I think as um, and I know I've kind of shifted this a little more in, into climate, but that's the first thing that comes to mind. I mean, that's our whole. No, I mean, it's a existence. big fucking problem that yeah, we're dealing yeah, with. So. That's our whole existence on this earth. I mean, if the earth doesn't exist, then none of the shit. By, of by the, us. Yeah. None of the shit we're talking about matters, you know, uh, at least in the moral sense that we're looking at it now. On a literal um, existential point of view. Yes. yes. Uh, and it's so. I mean, there, I feel like there's been some valiant efforts put forward um, in in reshaping um, how people how how people view this. I but I I don't I don't know. It's it's <laughs> it's dark to think about. It's 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 rough. We do need it, but is is it possible? I don't I don't know. I don't know. I think that's probably the best answer. Is I don't know, and I don't know either. And it is sad to think about. Going off of that, I want to talk about. Something else I've talked about a lot, but kind of branching off of it in a new direction, which is fear and what I'm, I guess, dubbing the oh fuck moment, where as hard as it is to admit this sometimes in my own life and relationship, sometimes I, I don't want to say all the time, but sometimes we all have this. So it's not out of the ordinary. Sometimes when you're confronted about a behavior, it takes kind of an oh fuck moment. Like I could lose this there or there is the potential for me to lose something. And that drives a positive change but i've talked about how fear and you've talked about on on holocene extinction on on multiple songs how fear is such a driver for gross and horrific behavior both through institutions and in people but in terms of climate since we're off that topic it like i'm thinking to myself it would have to be like an oh fuck moment it would be like if a meteor was coming towards earth it's as as funny it's like that movie what was that movie the adam mckay one don't look up like an oh and, and as much as he parried, like it yeah. didn't fucking it didn't fucking matter in the end. Spoiler alert for those who didn't see the movie. The movie, but it, <laughs> the the point was like, or not the point, but kind of an adjacent point was it takes an oh fuck moment in an ideal world. That wasn't an ideal world in the movie, certainly, but it, it took an oh fuck moment to kind of galvanize at least a large section of humanity to kind of like have a mass shift. And for you, fear. How do we kind of because you don't want to always be confronted with an oh fuck moment. You want to no, no. internalize that before you get there. Like, yeah, you want to intercept that oh fuck moment from happening. Totally. But is that um, what it, in your words, like, do you, is that what it takes? Is it, are we at the point where it's going to take that? Or do you think that again, does the optimist in you think like, you know what, maybe there's a possibility that we don't have to get there. And there is a way for us to kind of internalize that. I think it it, 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 it is going to get dark, but I want to say that COVID-19 pandemic would should have been that oh fuck moment right i mean it, it by all accounts it should have been if you if you told somebody in um if we were having this conversation in 2019 and i was like what if we saw uh you know what if a a deadly virus began spreading 
and um, you know, killed off half a million people in a few months or you know, whatever, like and you know, altered our way of daily living completely forever. Do you think that that would be something that would cause, um, you know, people to set aside their differences, put aside their hate and maybe work together for the greater good? Let's let's make that shit looks pretty bleak right now. Let's make this world a fucking a better place before it gets any worse. You know, this is something that we never anticipated. We can put aside our ethical, moral, political differences and, and harmonize or at least look towards the greater good. And I would have absolutely said if we had that conversation in 2019, yeah, it does sound like a deadly virus that kills off hundreds of thousands, millions of people. You would think might, might be, yeah, I would would not not might would absolutely be the thing that would help turn this world around. Holy fuck! Did it, did it not make things worse? <laughs> oh man, it's, yeah, yeah. No, sorry, go ahead. No, no. I, I mean that that was. I guess that was my thought, but it was. It, I and I didn't mean to laugh because it's really not funny. Um, Sometimes it's but, all you can do, though, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it, uh, laughters can can sometimes be a uh, a coping mechanism. It's a good for me. Zen it's practice help. you got going on there of laughing. Totally, totally. It, it uh, it's healthier than other coping uh, than some other coping coping mechanisms for sure. Um, but yeah, I I mean, I in 2019, I would have said, yeah, we do need a holy fuck moment um, that affects everybody negatively to help turn this world around. Uh, then we had it, and it's. I and then don't you got know. people saying, "I'll be fine. Like I'll, I can live through this." Whereas, like yeah, an well, asteroid, like you're not living through this, but people still thought they could like live through sure, it. I think sure. that was, I, I think their, I their think... mortality wasn't, at least in their minds, wasn't completely at stake. But again, it, it was. They were missing the larger aspect of like, but other people's mortality is at stake, and like that's 100%. what you're missing here. Yes, a hundred percent. We share. We share this world. This is not your world. We share this with everybody else. We have to work through this together. We all have to win together or, you know, uh, for lack of a better word, we all have to coexist. Um, and that should have been that should have been the the giant world shift where let's do better from here. And um, it didn't happen. And I think the inverse happened in a lot of ways. Part yeah. of it due to a lot of misinformation. You know, I, maybe maybe these um, for lack of a better term. The powers that be, the, uh, the people holding power, maybe were were anticipating something like this and had that bullshit in the chamber, ready to to uh, misinform others or um, you know just just keep people. I don't know, just just spread that misinformation so that um, we avoid what we need to do. I guess deflecting, yeah, deflecting. Was there ever a time in your mind? I mean, again, you're not much older than me, but would you think there was ever a time in recent history where people's personal philosophies or just the kind of the general nature of the country and there are always there's always been suffering always and inequality always. And this is not to 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 sweep things under the carpet and like look back like a lot of people do and like, oh, things were better then or things were better, you know, whenever that's not what this is about. But do you think there was ever a time when we in recent memory when we weren't so selfish and we weren't so concerned, like you said, we, like I'm concerned about my mortality and my my family's mortality. I don't really give a shit about yours. Do you think that there was a time when that wasn't the case in recent memory and like we were more selfless and more selfish and maybe more optimistic rather than pessimistic? Or do you think that just didn't exist and we just were distracted by other things? Um, it, it's tough to say. It's not an easy answer for sure. I think it. a lot of it depends on on perception. Like we talked about earlier, you know, my perception is going to be different 
uh, from yours, maybe not much or or different from this, that, and the other. It, I hate to go go, go back to this, um, but living in the South, when I did, when, when 9-11 happened, shortly after, there was this um, this big, like, campaign, like, Go America or whatever. And, like, looking back on it, that shit kind of sucked. But I did feel in the South. Yeah, I- I just, I just, I'm just thinking it was, it was, I'm thinking of that too. Like it was definitely, it started, what started as kind of like very wholesome patriotism very quickly kind yes. of turned into very jingoistic kind of talk. Yeah. 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 It went from, um, you know, in, in the South, we saw that people were um, maybe more, more appreciative of, of, you know, their friends and family um, more. They, they, I don't know. It, it, it started, I think very innocently. And then, uh, but here's the thing. I am not uh, of the Muslim faith. I am not Middle Eastern. And so my, like seeing the perception around me of, of people using this extremely horrific thing that happened to better their own communities or whatever, there's, there's a very, very dark flip side to that where, um, you know, we had these, these racist, xenophobic, these anti, anti-Muslim attacks. I'm a good chunk, I'm a good chunk Lebanese. And like, I, 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 I was young at the time, obviously I was in third grade sure. since you were in sixth grade, but I mean, looking back on it, it, it devolved very quickly into Toby Keith, uh, fuck the middle East. We're going to put a boot in your ass and bomb your country into oblivion. Yes. It, yeah. It, almost, it almost overnight. It was pretty surreal and being, you know, being in Arkansas, not, not the most diverse place. I, you know, I didn't see a whole lot of that. Obviously I wasn't, of the uh, ethnic background to be on the chopping block for that particular, you know, hate campaign, but that particular one. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, but uh, that's the closest to harmonious I've, I've ever seen it. And it, I mean, that's, that ain't good. Uh, when, when that's the closest to, to like peace and harmony that, that I've seen in a long time right. and we're firing missiles into fucking, you know, countries and, and, and beating up people because of the, the color of their skin or killing them. Um, I say we, but, you know, the the people that are pushing um, this campaign, people, the people that we voted for or the people that the country voted for, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 pretty um, it's pretty fucked up. It's it's I, I don't think I've seen anything close to peace. If anything, that that would be the closest. And that's insane. To say and right. And in the, in the early the very early stages, we were still kind of almost when we were kind of recovering from the shock of what had happened. And, right, and more, right, more right. just kind of like, hey, we need to like, I'm trying to think of the right turn of phrase, but I know exactly what you're saying. It was kind of that moment right after we were just like, not licking your wounds, but you know we exactly move, what you're saying. Move yeah. on with life. We don't want to let the terrorists win. We need to go right. to the playground and go to the baseball games and go to concerts and enjoy ourselves because they want to take away our way of life. And then, you know, went from we need to enjoy and appreciate what we have yeah. to the, the brown people are, t- are trying to take it was very have. much a, a let's use a, a certain a certain sense of love and reaction to what, what we saw and you know what we saw and ultimately was a hateful act um and it's always interesting because you go and you look back and you're like well that hateful act although absolutely you know not excused by any measures was you know probably caused by at least drove the mindset through years of our own political kind of misgivings and you know policies in in the middle east and in foreign countries yeah it ain't good but it didn't fucking come out of nowhere yeah i don't want to say it wasn't unprovoked but holy shit somebody should have seen the writing on the wall after years and years of uh poking the bear you know you were talking about you know media and stuff and one of my other lyrics that i always 
that I really enjoyed on the record. I think it's on Leather Envy, if I remember. It's the last. It's the very last line. It's uh, those who bow to their oppressor are the. I think it's those who bow to their oppressor are the weakest link in the chain of society. Is that the, the in link? the chain of being? The chain yeah. of being. The chain of being. I think one of the hardest things that and people are that people why people are ruled by fear is they don't realize who their oppressor is and like what they're being oppressed by. It's kind of just, I mean, a lot of people do like people, the most marginalized definitely know who they're being oppressed by, but the people who kind of are being either oppressed or I would say controlled, maybe not oppressed, but definitely, definitely manipulated and controlled that we need to kind of like, or that you would want to kind of have kind of a reckoning to some degree, don't realize who they're being manipulated or controlled by how, what are ways that, are there any ways that people can kind of slowly, but surely recognize, Hey, this is happening and I need to kind of reassess things, change things. Does that come from outreach? Does, or is that only something that comes from within and kind of like we were talking about all these holy fuck moments? Is there a way to, for people to yeah, realize um, that? Yeah, I, I hate to say this. And, and um, you know, I'm not trying to act like some holier than thou person. Um, but when you're personally affected by something, your perception of that of how you feel about that shifts. You're, you're no longer... On the sidelines, you're no longer a bystander. You're no longer viewing from afar. It's it's happening. Oh shit! It's happening to me. Like like the old, you know, first they came for, you know, for the communists and the socialists. And, you know uh, that trope. Um, and you you ignore it when it happens to other people. Um, so I wrote that song initially, kind of influenced by here in Arkansas, for lack of a better word, like rednecks, if you will, your stereotypical rednecks they should be you know your cowboy types that should be outlaws and um against authority or, or you know that that trope was was built on being anti-authoritarian um but then they they have the pun- punisher skull with the uh with the blue stripe <laughs> yep. and, they, and they love the police despite all their faults they blindly love everything about the police and it's just like it doesn't make any it doesn't make any sense i know we talked a little bit earlier about Toby Keith, but country music def- after 9-11 definitely shifted. I feel like, you know, pre-9-11, there was a lot of even more popular country that was um, not so like hy- hyper patriotic and, you know, let's support the police and, and be racist and what, <laughs> you know, whatever. Um, Like a lot of these these dudes who sh- who have the, the DNA, the, the um, figurative genetic makeup of they should hate everything about the police, yet they don't. It's ju- it just mind-blowing. And then they see a person of color get killed by a police officer, and they're like, well, they need additional context, or they had it coming, or you know, looking at their record or whatever. And then from time to time, there will be a moment where a, like a white person will get killed by the police in a fucking horrific way. And then they're like, some of I've Up seen... Up in arms, yeah. Yeah, I've seen people have kind of this, this moment of reflection and it's like i thought they were on our team kind of you know that 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 kind of um awakening you know a lot of that happened in the like the unite the right protests and then the cops were arresting both the the left and right protesters and they're like hey i thought i thought you were on our side i thought we were on the same team and it's like they they fail to look at the fact that or january 6th yeah yes 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 They, they fail to look at the fact that they they can fall into like this this group you know it's not it's not a race thing or a, a ethnic thing or anything but in a class group that they're not they're not the ruling class you you, you know you your politicians may say a lot of um slogans that appeal to you 
but you're not on their team. You're it's, not on their team. It's the it's the George Carlin. It's a big club, and you ain't in it. Exactly, exactly. You may think you're in it. You may think you're adjacent to it, or on on the um yeah uh, on the prospect list, but you're you're not in it, and you will never you will never be in it. You will never be in it, and it's like you should realize you should realize this, but it's it's a complex it's a complicated thing. There's multiple you know the, it's messaging from multiple directions, you know, and again. This is not saying that every individual police officer is a bad person. It's the the structural system of policing uh, needs reforms. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I would totally agree with that. I think like a lot of what we touched on earlier in this chat is your perception, how you're raised, your um, the circle that you run with, your upbringing. Other, you know, there's a lot of police officers that have joined the police force to make the world a better place. Genuinely, absolutely. in their heart, that's absolutely. Their goal was their goal, still is their goal. Uh, it's what they're, you know, it's what they feel they're doing every day. Now, is is that the case? Maybe, maybe not. But um, you know, it's just something that's kind of been ingrained into their um, into, into their belief system. And is, you know, if does that make them a, a horrible person if they think that they're doing the right thing? I don't know. It, it's a tough moral question for sure. It is. It is absolutely. There's no easy answers. I mean, there's no easy answers to any of the questions that I usually ask on this podcast, but there's there's definitely no easy answers, especially when it comes to questions of morality. But it's still these are still important questions to think about, because if we don't, then I don't like the I don't like the direction that we would go if we don't think about these kinds of questions. We just bury yeah, our head yeah. in the sand and kind of turn away from all questions of morality and how, how our morality is shaped. That's kind of at the basis of us as people existing as human beings on this planet Earth. Hundred percent. It feels good to uh, to hash it out sometimes, even if you don't, even if we don't um, come to a resolution. You know, it, it it just feels good to say it out loud. And I think it's interesting. I think it's almost it can almost act as a bridge rather than almost engaging on politics on kind of a direct political level to kind of almost talk about like, well, let's talk about morality. Let's talk about good and evil, because then I think you can get even get a deeper sense of someone. Like, where do you? How do you define good? How do you define? How do you define evil? I think that's almost because people are more willing to kind of engage almost, I would think, I, I don't do that. I try not to do this. Uh, well, maybe not try not to do this, but I guess I haven't done it a lot. But I would be th I would think in my own mind that people might be willing to engage on a more good faith basis if it's kind of on a, a playing field of how do you define good? How do you define evil? I think yeah. engage on a philosophical level, a level rather than a political level, people might be more willing to kind of have in-depth conversations with you instead of kind of just resorting to attacking i think it's a more interesting conversation yep. that that doesn't provoke attacks again not that political stuff doesn't need to be discussed but i think almost that's that's almost a way that you can find some sort of common ground to at least establish a conversation is talking about a topic like yeah. that i mean there's definitely a lot of gray area where political and philosophical you know exactly there's, there's exactly a crossover um but i think that the just the phrasing or the term political has has uh especially in recent years has garnered a, a negative um you know some some negative energy to sort of to frame it through a more philosophical lens um you can cover a vast array of of topics that, that do overlap but but you know when you phrase it as a as a philosophical question or look at it through through that particular lens it's a little easy to kind of come out of your shell and um and not feel like you're being chastised or or uh, or criticized or looked down upon you know Absolutely. You said you're an optimistic person, like the optimist in you believes one thing. And I guess I want to end with that. How important is it to stay optimistic and how 
do you stay optimistic? Like how important is it to not lose yourself in the the bitter pill to swallow and like, well, it's really sad to think about. And even when even when we were talking earlier about how scary it is to think that there may not be an afterlife and there's nothing after after death and we'll never see the people we love again. And how important is and that ties into faith and spirituality. But even on just a more worldly level, how important is it to stay optimistic about the state of us as a people? the state of the world and just personally optimistic about your place in it. And what are ways that you personally have stayed optimistic and things that you would recommend to other people to, to help them? So I had to do a lot of deep soul searching in uh, during like the peak era of the pandemic. I was working from home. My kids were home um, at the time I was in a much, I, I've moved since then, as I mentioned earlier, but at the time I was in a much, much smaller living space and my mental health was just deteriorating. I've always kind of, dealt with depression and anxiety and I've had my, my coping mechanisms through the years, but the pandemic really pushed me to my limit. Sometimes, you know, I, um, so I have my two children, I have my wife and they're the three most important people in my life. I mean, if anything else, they're my battery or my fuel source to keep me, keep me moving along. Um, keep me looking, looking towards the positives, pointing out the positives, finding the positives in everything that I can. Um, I'm also, I, I know it may be a little bit of a controversial way of parenting, but I've always tried to be a realist with my children, you know, with, with, um, like not sugarcoating things. Yeah. Yeah. Talking in a way that they'll, they'll understand at their age, but like, you know, when they see these things on TV regarding, um, you know, police misconduct or, or racism or this, that, and the other, just like, you know, shaping it in a way that they'll, that they'll understand, um, and talking to them uh, but but being real, but but but, but tackling it head on because the right, world like this can, is not the way you should behave. Yes, the, the world can be an ugly place sometimes, and um, you know I don't want to shelter. I I, I don't want to you know throw them into the deep end, but I don't want to shelter that uh, shelter them from it either. Um, but uh, to, to stay on track here, just just everything I do, I do for I do for them. Um, I take some anxiety medication that kind of helps helps me keep stay level sometimes and. Um, you know, I, I probably should go to therapy, maybe more. Uh, there's nothing wrong with uh, with doing that. I, I, uh, Absolutely I know it not. helps. I am also finding... someone who's on anxiety medication. And trust me, guys, if, if it's something that you've been thinking about, definitely explore the option. Like, you know, it's not for everybody, but it can definitely help. And I'm I'm someone who's also living proof of that. Yeah, totally, totally. You just got to, you, you got to f- find, um, you know, you, you know yourself better than, uh, than anybody else will. So find something that works for you, an outlet. For me, not only is it my family, not only sometimes it's medication, but it's also like music. It's also like lifting weights, um, just just a whole lot of other things that kind of give me a little bit of escapism sometimes, allow me to recharge my batteries. Um, I have I have a number of ways that I, uh, that I try to stay optimistic. And, and uh, while the pandemic um, definitely pushed me to my limit, I just... Just uh, staying busy, keeping active, um, looking at all the positives in my life has certainly helped me out exponentially. Like, it, are, are there brighter days ahead? Maybe, maybe not. But, you know, I'm going to um, keep trudging along and doing and the you, best that I can to ensure that there are. It seems like you stay grounded in the moment. Like, it seems in a, in a way of man, a manner of speaking, it seems like you, you're very you've gotten very good at counting your blessings, being like in this moment in time, which is, you know, in a philosophical point of view. You know, the Stoics believe this. I love Alan Watts. Alan Watts talks about this. All we have is this 
right now, like literally right fucking now at this yes. moment. We have the yes. same thing that yes. everybody yes. everybody else has. We all have the exact same thing, which is this second yes. right now. And in this second, what do I have that I'm thankful for? Yes, that I, I love that. I love that. So there's, there, I mean, there's been times in my life where I was so fucking broke and poor and did I didn't have as I'm gonna use the Arkansas phrase I didn't have a pot to piss in. But right now I, I moved <laughs> I moved into a, I moved into a house I, I became a homeowner something I never thought I could do. I have a beautiful healthy family. I have a, a band um, you know that I'm happy with that is doing things that I I would have never dreamed that I could do musically. So just looking at all those positives uh, and living in the moment and just just being uh, appreciative of the cards that I've been dealt. I feel very fortunate. Um, you know things could always be better, but they could sure as shit be worse so it's you know count your blessings absolutely and i'm thankful one thing i'm thankful for is having you on the podcast and with that being said stan that brings us to our final segments of the show which i like to call tomes of wisdom and the chaser so first up is tomes of wisdom where each guest recommends us three pieces of media that have inspired them philosophically or spiritually in the last year uh, this can be books films games comics you know anything that has made you think about your own life or life in the world in a different way so stan what are three pieces of media that you've consumed that you would recommend for us to digest Ooh, i uh i have recently read um kim kelly's book fight like hell about um, um the american labor movement i found it to be really powerful inspiring empowering it was great. I recommend anybody. I haven't been able to read as much as possible, but I uh, <laughs> tell me about it as much as I wanted to. I've just been so busy. You know, I, I talked earlier about moving and being in a band and Jesus, I just don't have time to pick up a book, but I, I read that um, pretty recently. I, I enjoyed it. Um, I think it's a great read. I think it's Kim's first book, but it's definitely worth, worth picking up. For She's sure. a good follow on Twitter too. Also. Yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. I love her. She's great. Um, a couple of weeks back, I I think it was, I sat down with the album. This is one of my all-time favorites, I think. Um, but His Hero is Gone, 15 Counts of Arson. Memphis-based, dark, crusty, sludgy, hardcore. not Like 90s hardcore. Um, Hell yeah. Fast, heavy. Like the, the, the cover art is just iconic. It's like a, a dude, it's a painting, a dude in a ski mask. Behind him, there's a shell gas station um it's on fire i live and next to a shell gas station <laughs> hopefully it's not on fire i don't or maybe maybe that's hopefully. rad as hell <laughs> yeah but it's it's super i mean it's it's i think an entry level it's a must listen to for people who are trying to get into crust music it's like the staple um for crust punk if you will and it's just just incredible it's so angry the the sound like sonically just engulfs you the lyrics are uh it, it's a big influence to my band i just you know being from similar regions memphis is about a two hours that way um yeah I, his hero's gone 15 counts of arson if you haven't listened to it check it out i'll also, definitely check that out because i i'm unfamiliar so i'm definitely gonna check that out cool yes please i love i love telling people about his hero's gone also they have another album monuments to thieves um, and that, you know, you can piece together the, the, the meaning behind that album title, but another just flawless. Those two albums are absolutely flawless. Um, and then I, I wanted to kind of bring in three di di totally different mediums of media. Awesome. Um, through the pandemic, something I found very relaxing. And this is really weird. Uh, do you play video games? 
Uh, not as much as I'd like to have the time to. Uh, yeah, I usually same. play. I'm usually playing a lot of Yu-Gi-Oh! Master Duel or okay. rock, or Rock Band or Hell yeah. I'll, I'll or I'll usually play like games from my what I consider the golden age of of gaming. But it's literally just because of the nostalgia of my high school years. So I'll play like yeah. I'll play like Battlefield Bad Company one, like the or two, like the, the Bad yeah. Company games, or I'll play like the first Call of Duty Black Ops, like the OG Black Ops. Sure, sure. Or or just ago. just tons of games from like 2010, 2011, or like two thousand basically 2008 through 2011 or is like anything on the PS3 I'll usually play yeah. a lot of. I have a so, PS4, so but Okay, so from a time where you had more time to play video games. Yes, but I don't have as much. The the point is, I don't have as much time to to play in this day and age. But the ones I do play a lot of now are either old stuff, Master Duel, or Rock Band. Awesome, awesome. So, so uh, one of the games that I I feel like it, I played it throughout the pandemic. I played it again here recently on PlayStation Four. I have a PlayStation Five now, but but on PlayStation Four, lucky. uh, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, Was Death Stranding? You- Ooh, I love me some Hideo Kojima. Please tell yeah. me what you thought about it. It was uh, so I can see why somebody would hate it, and I could see why somebody would love it. I and this sounds like this sounds like a a, a diss to the to the game, but it was mundane. But it was People like called it a walking simulator. Yeah, no, it, it's exactly what it was. But I so I would have these points in time during like the George Floyd protests or like you know, um, the pandemic, and I just felt so, like, hopeless, and this game just encapsulated all of my feelings, so, like, the kids would go to bed, my wife would go to bed, the house would be empty, or the house would be dark, um, I would put on, like, a Doom record, I would listen to that Atramentous record that uh, 20 Bucks Spin put out, where I would put on, like, a Paul Bearer record, just something slow, and then I would be in that game, just, like, in a post-apocalyptic world, just, like, walking through the tundra and there was just something really cathartic about that experience like in a house at night it feels like the world is going to an end like peak peak covid but i re- recently revisited it uh but it got me through covid a lot and i revisited it and I, I i still love it it's post-apocalyptic it's slow if you like fast-paced games it ain't for you i could see how somebody would not like it but i love i loved it i loved it Finally, this is the segment that I like to call the chaser. So in the chaser, we ask the same 10 rapid fire questions for each guest. And we ask that they keep their answer to 30 seconds or less. Are you ready, Stan? It's, it, I love the talk. 30 seconds is not a lot of time, but I, I am ready. Do you believe in fate or free will and why? I, I think I believe in both. I don't think that they're mutually exclusive. I think if you test the parameters of free will for a while, fate will end up finding you. Fuck around and find out, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Go around and find out method of <laughs> method of uh, destiny. I like it. Uh, what is a stronger force in the world, love or hate, and why? All right, the realist in me says hate. The the optimist in me says love. Um, love leads to complacency, and I think hate. If you hate, leads to brooding and uh, and action. I guess for unfortunately, sometimes fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Right. Star Wars, yeah, 100%, okay. yes. Uh, who are the three most important spiritual and moral guides in your life and why? Okay, so I, I, I think we've already touched on this a little earlier in our chat, but I would say my, uh, my partner and my two kids, everything I do um, in my life is to try to uh, – everything I do is, is, is for them. They're, they're on my team, and, and I think they feel the same. What was the most spiritual place for you where you grew up and why? And this can be like something you didn't necessarily know was like, quote unquote, spiritual at the time, but a place you just felt like a really great power at or a sense of awe at when you were growing up. 
Okay. Um, so as a kid, I played a lot of hockey. Um, and oh, when yeah. I would when I would hit the ice, especially in Los Angeles, I'm a Kings fan. Don't hold it against me. But then here in um, I'm, I'm a Sabres fan, so I mean, you can't. You're, you're definitely probably doing better than that. I mean, they're doing Dominic all right this Cassidy. year, actually. So Dominic Cass is my favorite hockey player. The Dominator. Okay. okay. All right. We're, we're getting sidetracked. Anyway, yes. But, sidetracked. Anyway. Um, okay. So so when I played hockey, it was kind of before really discovering performing music. It was kind of an outlet. I would hit the ice. Everything would just dis- like disappear. I would look at. I would still be in my thoughts, kind of like shower thoughts, if you will. Uh, but from afar, it was just, the only thing that mattered was getting out there on the ice and kicking ass. Um, so the, the ice rink or, or playing hockey. Very cool. What is the most delicious meal you've had in the last month and where was it? Um, the first thing that comes to mind earlier today, my beautiful wife made some bomb ass Chinese food with just some random ingredients Ooh. that she uh, that she threw together. And I am not a good cook. So I am very fortunate that I have a partner who is an incredible cook. So I would definitely, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Dude, fucking tell me about it. I resonate with that 10,000%. I can't cook worth a damn. I'm so glad that my <laughs> wife is a good cook. But Hell Chinese yeah. food sounds so good. Uh, anyway, what is the last time you felt lost? Or when was the last time you felt lost? Ooh, okay, so um, I think my son ha- ha- recently had some struggling in school with paying attention, maybe dealing with some neurodivergent issues that I experienced as a child so I can relate with him and em- empathize with him. But, you know, we're, he, he he's on our list to get checked out for things like that. But it, it hurts sometimes to, to look from afar and see your own your own child struggling sometimes. And so that recently I've, I've just felt lost. I like I want to be more hands on. But also I, I know he needs to experience things um for himself and the world can be an ugly place. Sometimes he has, I can't always hold his hand through it. And sometimes he has experienced it for himself. Do you think the universe bends towards order or towards chaos and why? Oh man. Um, chaos. It seems none of this shit makes sense. What we talked about earlier. I feel like it since nine 11, you know, nine 11, Sandy hook, COVID, um, the Iraq war, uh, just why is any of this happening? Nothing good happens. It's, it's all chaos. It's all chaos. What is the most important piece of your childhood that you've held on to and why? And this can be literally something physical or, or maybe something, a trait that you've held on to since childhood. Um, I think my imagination, everything that I've, um, any, any, you know, any, any sort of accomplishment that I've had in my life um, has been because of my imagination. I had a big imagination as a child. I still have a big imagination. Anything that I achieve, any goal that I make is started off as this big grandiose idea. And I whittled it down to something that's more, uh, realistic and attainable and accomplished it through there. But I wouldn't have pushed myself to that if I didn't have my imagination. What is one axiom or quote that centers you and calms you in dark times? Okay. Kind of like the last question we had uh, pushing through these dark times. Um, I don't know that I have a quote that I turn to, but I'll tell you what, I'm a wrestling fan. Scott Hall once said, "Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> Scott Hall once said, uh, bad times don't last but bad guys do. So you got to be a badass and just push through it. Hell yeah. And to everyone who has ever been touched by your words and music, what do you say? Thank you. They just, just thank you for, um, you know, accepting my art and, and making it a part of your life, whether it's on a major minor scale, you know, I know some people have terminal nation tattoos. Some people heard one song and thought it was okay. Some people just moshed at a show. I appreciate that immensely. I, I, put my heart and soul into into my art and it's just incredible to 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 get any sort of positive feedback
Stan, you have just engaged in psychic warfare. Thank you so much for joining me today. It truly means the world. Thank you very much. I, I, it means the world that you asked me to be on this. I, lo I love the experience. Your questions are phenomenal. Phenomenal. You have a great uh, a voice for radio, and the, your theme is killing it. I love it. I love it. I love it. So, so keep it up. I hope to see you uh, take this as far as you can. Hey, everybody. It's Chris here again. I just wanted to say thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for listening to Psychic Warfare. It truly means the world, and it would really mean a lot to me if you could subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're currently listening on. Uh, and especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, if you could rate the podcast five stars and, and leave a comment about what you thought about it, it really helps boost visibility and get more eyes on the podcast. Um, that would be really, really great. Thank you guys so much for listening again, and I can't wait to hear what you guys thought of the episode, and I'll see you in the next one.